So the whole book of Colossians is about Christ and our relationship to him. So look at verse 5. It says, therefore, let's start in verse 4 to give the context. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of, all, out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. If you've read the Bible or been in church, you realize that sin is a big deal. And then, if you care about what God thinks, which I think we do, you have the question, how do you get rid of it? Now, the gospel comes and says Christ paid for forgiveness. So we've been forgiven our sins, but then you say, well, how do I stop sinning? Practically, how do I stop being such a bad person? Because every time I come to church and hear the Bible read, I realize I'm not as good as I thought I was. But I want to be. How do you get rid of sin in your life? Bad habits, lying, selfishness. How does the gospel, how does Christ and what he did 2,000 years ago and where he is now help us today stop sinning? What are the practical implications of the gospel? God knew we'd have these questions, so he gave us the answers. And so this passage specifically talks about you're forgiven, but now you need to behave better. Not to be forgiven, but because you want to be a better person. And so the gospel changes our behavior. And does it three, we're going to see three things here. We see that the Bible reveals sin. It uncovers sin. It shows the results of sin. And it teaches us how to repent of sin. So it reveals sin, shows the results of sin, and it causes us to repent of sin. You appreciate the alliteration, right? Spent a little extra time. Wasted a little extra time, maybe. <laughs> Let's get three R's. The first problem that the human has is not that he's just a sinner. It's that he doesn't even know how bad he is. So what does God do? God does not wait for man to realize how bad he is and come to God for help. What does God do? He says, you're so bad, you'll never figure it out. So God says, I'll go to you. This is the entire story of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. God went to man. God went to the earth and created man. God spoke to man. Adam and Eve sinned. What did God do? He went looking for them. They didn't go looking for him. He went looking for them. Mount Sinai, God goes down to meet his people and show them. 
the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He comes to us. All the prophets go to the people. The Bible is written before we knew it was there. It's written to us. All of this is because what God does and his mercy is he comes to us while we were yet sinners. And first of all, shows us that we are sinners. This is what the, the role of a prophet is. A prophet reveals. Now, prophets are very rarely welcomed. Because if you already knew the problem, you would be dealing with it. There's a reason you've hidden the problem. So what a prophet does, and that's what this passage is, Paul is a prophet. And by application, I'm a prophet because I'm bringing the words to you. You may not have thought about what the passage take, but now you have to because I'm speaking them to you. So the prophetic office is going to the people, speaking the words of God. So that's what Paul's doing here. Why do you need a prophet? You need to know what God thinks. You don't know what God thinks. You know what you think, and you may know what other people think, but you don't know what God thinks. And so God says, you need a prophet to come from God to you to tell you what he thinks. Because isn't that what sin is? Defying God? But if you don't know who God is, you can't know what sin is. So the divine perspective is what we call the word of God. Sometimes we use the word of God so often that we think of it as a title, not a description. It's the words spoken by God. And what do words do? They communicate. They transfer knowledge from one person to another. And so what the Bible is, is transferring knowledge through the prophet from God to you. Now, that should cause us to be thankful. As Christians, we want to know God, and God says, okay, I'll tell you. I'll write it in a language that people can understand, and I'll send someone to give it to you. You don't have to go find it. It'll come to you. So the divine perspective is needed on sin. Before you can kill sin, you have to know what sin is. And here's the problem, and here's why the prophet is necessary. You don't know, want to know what your sin is. Your heart wants to hide your sin. It wants to conceal it. Because sin is bad, and if you are bad, we struggle with that. So we do three things. We ignore our sin. There's no problem. We're fine. I mean, I, was, I had some problems in the past, and I'm sure I'm not perfect, but I can't think of anything. And so often, we think, as long as I don't know what I'm doing is wrong, it's not wrong. That's not true. Just because you don't know does not mean it's not wrong. It just means you have ignored the truth. Romans chapter 1, it says that God is revealed to all mankind who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They have it, and they hold it down. That's what we do. The, the truth is like a beach ball, and you put it a beach ball in the water, and what's it do? It floats. And we grab it and we push it under the water where no one can see it. But then God speaks and it kind of pops up again. We keep on pushing it down. We want to ignore sin. We don't even want to know about it. Keep it hidden. But a prophet says, pay attention. That's why they kill prophets. That's why they killed Jesus. Because he was bringing to their attention things they want to stay hidden. Things they didn't want to admit to themselves. If you think that you are not hiding sin within your heart you don't think the Bible is necessary because the Bible is to reveal what you won't face, what you may not even know. 
Or you may know it, but you minimize it. It's like, well, I got some problems, but you know, no one's perfect. I'm not, I'm bad. I, I got some sin issues, but not like, did you hear what they did? I mean, we all have problems, but I never would have done that. Or we can work through it, you know, like we don't have to make such a big deal out of it. Minimizing sin. What's the prophet say? The wrath of God is coming. You are degenerate. You are wretches. You are angry at God. You are rebellious. Or we try to rationalize sin. Now, rationalizing sin doesn't mean we say sin is okay. We know that's wrong, don't we? We try to say that it's not sin. Well, I do this, but here are all the reasons I do it, so it's not actually bad. Now, what I can't do right now is I can't make you grasp this. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So you have sin in your life. We all have sin in our life. Sin that we've hidden, sin that we've minimized, and sin that we've rationalized. But because of the hardness of human hearts, unless the Holy Spirit comes into you, your heart, and shows that sin to you and convicts you through the word, you will never be changed. Now, that's why we pray, Holy Spirit, come change us. We don't even know what's wrong. And when you show it to us, help us see it. So what the prophet does is he has the word of God that he confronts the people with that the Holy Spirit activates. So what do you need to deal with sin? You need God's word in your face with the Holy Spirit power. It's a powerful combination. And that's how people change. But do you realize how uncomfortable that process is? It means ripping open the scabs on your wounds. It means pulling back the bandage that you've been covering the sin with so that you can get rid of it. So what God does here, he gives us a list. He says, I'll tell you what your problems are. He says, therefore put to death the members which are on earth. And he gives two categories, three really, physical sins. Put to death the members which are on earth. Remember Christ is in heaven, we're supposed to focus on heaven. Well, these things do the opposite. They focus on earth. They worship the physical. Fornication or sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is bowing before the God of sex. It's saying, physical pleasure will make me happy. This has been a problem since the beginning. America is not worse than Rome. Humans take the good thing that God has given. See, it doesn't say, so fornication means sexual immorality. It does not say Sex is sin. It says sexual immorality is sin. So we take what God has created on earth and twist it and worship it. We say, well, I don't have a problem with that. Uncleanness. That's just a broader word for, so sexual immorality is the act. Uncleanness is just the lifestyle, even if you don't engage in the act. See how broad it is? It's not letting anyone, passion Evil desire. If you just want to do it, God is condemning you. If you can't keep your internal desires that never come out, you're in this category of fornication, idolatry. Is that you? See, no one will ever know this except for you and the Holy Spirit. But the word is coming to you right now. Do you have evil desires? Covetousness. Do you bow before the physical? 
money, entertainment, comfort, relationships, education. That's idolatry. That is rejecting God for something on earth. But then he goes on, look at verse 9, or in verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off these things, anger. So now he's got a category. So that was worshiping the physical. Now it's social, sort of antisocial behavior. You're worshiping self. You're putting yourself in the middle of everything to the expense of everybody else. Anger, wrath, aggression. You want something, and you know that if you push hard enough, you'll get it. And so your anger boils up, and it gives you a little bit of mo- You ever wanted to do something, but then you got angry and you're able to do it? And you use your anger as a motivation? See, sometimes we're too nice to say what we want until we get mad, and then we'll say it. That is sin. That is evil. That's manipulation. That's controlling other people. That's trying to make yourself God. Malice. Any of you malicious? No, of course not. This is a category of sin. Not just one sin. See, guys are saying, just don't do this one sin, you're okay. It's a category of sin that says, I don't care about people. I care about me. And if that hurts other people, that's their problem. I take care of myself, they can take care of themselves. Is that how you view people? Maybe a hindrance? They're always putting pressure on you and you're always like, "Ah, these people, always want me to do something. I don't care what happens to them. Why don't they leave me alone? Abusive language. It says here, filthy language, blasphemy. Blasphemy means slander. Using your words to demean, to abuse, to pressure, to make people feel bad. It's a pretty broad category, isn't it? Why has traditionally cursing been wrong, considered wrong? Because the way you use curse words is often the way that you demean people. You curse at them. You say words that are aggressive and abusive. If you think the only way you abuse someone is by hitting them physically, this verse is telling you you can be verbally abusive. You can speak words that hurt people. Every word that you speak, God says you should take an account for because of the power. And so what God is saying is check yourself. Do not lie to one another. Your words are ripping people apart. And it's your problem. Because sometimes I say, well, that's their problem. If they weren't so sensitive, it wouldn't be a problem. What's the Bible say? It's your problem. If they're hurt by your words, you need to evaluate your words. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Bluntness and aggressiveness are not. We speak the truth in love. So God is saying, look at yourself. What do these things do? They bring division. Look at this last category in verse 11. So this is the opposite of Christianity, where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Sin brings division. The gospel is the gospel of reconciliation. Sin is the news of division. Separates us from God, separates us from each other, separates us from life. And so here he's a category of sin 
racial sin. Greek nor Jew. It's not a real category. It's a man-made category. Who were the Greeks? Who decided who the Greeks were? People did. And so this is an ethnic divide. And what he's talking about here is not simply that the Jews had the, the Old Testament, because you didn't have to be a Jew to be part of the Old Testament. Uriah the Hittite. There were non-ethnic Jews part of Israel. What's happened here is that there's the ethnic Jew and the Greek, and they're different, and they don't like each other. And for 2,000 years, there was a division between them. Why? Because people love to divide. People find reasons to divide from other people because people are sinful. We have not changed. Paul said to the Colossian church, you've got problems, and I'm not going to speak in generalities. You see what the prophet does? He gets right down to where these people have their sin. He doesn't say, love everybody, though that's true. He doesn't even say, don't have division. He says specifically, Colossians, here's your specific problems, Jew and Greek. He doesn't leave it up to their imagination. And a true prophet confronts you where you are. He says, this is your sin. Because what we want to do, so my job is to take this from Greek and Jew to what we've got problems with. Because I think what we want to do is like, I'm glad we don't have this problem. We don't, Greek and Jews, all are welcome. We don't even make a distinction between a Greek and a Jew. Aren't you glad that we've kept the scripture? That doesn't reveal sin. There's no conviction there. So what is the application of this to us? Well, what racial and ethnic divides do we suffer from? If I were preaching to a Serbian congregation, it would be a little bit different. I would say the, the balkanization of Europe is sinful, but I'm not in Serbia. We're here. What ethnic divides do we have? How does the Holy Spirit convict us of our division? Black and white, Latino, Anglo. You know the divisions, you see them. They're sinful. But he goes on, religious, circumcised nor uncircumcised, those who keep the rules and those who don't. We know those people. They don't do the right thing. So we're going to separate from them. It doesn't matter if they're Christians. It doesn't matter if they're saved. If they don't live the way we do, we separate from them. Division brought by sin. Cultural. Barbarians. Just the word barbarian never means anything good. You know what barbarian means? You don't speak Greek. That's what it meant. You don't speak the right language. I'm glad in America we don't have a problem with this. We are welcoming of all, all tongues, languages. This is not an American problem. This is a sin problem. They said Greeks are civilized and people who don't speak Greek are animals. And God says that division is not in the church, or it shouldn't be. Then he says Scythian. Now, Scythian is not a different category. Scythian is the lowest of the barbarians. Now, when they read this, they would have been shocked. The Scythians? Everyone knew the Scythians. They were barbaric. They were brutal. They were uncultured. They were animals. And they had invaded this nation already. Mesopotamia feared the Scythians. They were wild animals. Who is that for you? What group of people do you feel have no civilization? You view them like animals. 
because of their behavior. By using that distinction, you've allowed sin to put people into groups. The Holy Spirit needs to convict you now of you putting people into groups that are not as good as you. Slave nor free. Economic differences. Social differences. Some people are higher on the social standard. Some people are lower. When people call the church asking for money, I almost, <laughs> let me confess my sin. My dad would always say, turn the tape off. I usually think the worst thing about them first. Why? Because this verse says there's a sin problem between people who have money and people who don't. So you think you're better than them. Because we've been trained to view the poor as inferior. And what this passage is saying is that is the work of Satan. It's the devil's work. It's the division of sin. Because Christ is all and in all. There cannot be any divisions in Christ. So any divisions that we see, we've added to the scenario. We've created them. And what we have to do is we have to confront them and get rid of them. Kelly Miller, who was a famous black uh, mathematician, wrote this poem and said, Then if our Father loveth all, mankind of every clime and hue, who loveth him must love them too. It cannot otherwise fall. It cannot otherwise fall. If you love God, you'll love who God loves. And the minute we start adding distinctions is a way for us to say, well, who is my neighbor? I mean, you don't expect me to treat everyone the same. Look how they act. What we've done is we've listened to the world tell us what sins are too bad for us to have. Do you know why the word racist is sort of the ultimate form of abuse? Because in our world, once you get labeled a racist, you're out. You're out. You're done. You are no longer a part of whatever group you're in. And so what the church has done is we've listened to that. And so we resist at all costs being labeled a racist because we think, and maybe by experience, that the church will kick us out too. And so we've minimized and hidden the sins because of fear of man. But what's the Bible say? Sinners are welcome in the church. All sinners. Every single sinner is welcome in the church because Christ is all and in all. He forgives all. He does not make a distinction between the racist and the non-racist. Sexual abuse. In the world, sexual abuse, you're out. And so what we do in the church is we minimize it. We turn away from it and we say, oh, I don't know anything. I haven't heard anything. Because we're so afraid of being revealed because the world has taught us you're done. That's not what Christ teaches. Christ teaches face the sin. Look at it. Christ is all and in all. What we need to do is not run away from people who are sinners, run away from ourselves when we sin, we confront sin. Amen. Have you been to an airport and you've seen the moving sidewalk? Okay, there's three people on that sidewalk. It's like a conveyor belt for people. There's three kind of people on there. There's the people walking with it, there's people standing still, and then there's those people who are walking backwards. Okay, what's the Bible teach us? That conveyor belt is your sin nature, carrying you to Satan. And there are people on that conveyor belt 
Now, label the conveyor belt what you want. Label it racism. Label it sexual abuse. Label it lying. There are people on that walking towards it. They're going with it. They are open and outright sinning. They're furthering the cause of racism. They're furthering the cause of sexual abuse. And we're like, not up. Whew, that's terrible. But there's a second group, those standing still. Many of us are in that middle category. We don't do that. We're not part of sexual abuse. We're not a part. We don't say racist things to people. We're standing still. But you see what the Bible is saying is you're not standing still. It says put to death your sins. If you just stand still, you're carried along. It means confront aggressively. You need to be the person walking backwards on the sin conveyor belt. You can't just be a non-racist. You need to be anti-racist. You can't just be non-sexual abuse. You need to be anti-sexual abuse. You're working against sin, first in your own heart and then in the church. Now, what happens when you start walking backwards? It's not just the people walking forwards that are mad. It's the people standing still. And this is why they killed Jesus. He wouldn't leave anybody alone. He wouldn't let people just be respectable. He said, if you're not fighting sin, you're with sin. If you're not with me, you're against me. And so what the Bible is saying is don't just avoid sin. You kill it. You fight it. You put it off. You put to death your members which are on earth. Don't be afraid to confront the racism in your heart. You will not be kicked out of this church if you have racism. You will be confronted as sin, and then you'll be pointed to Christ. Don't be afraid to con to face sexual abuse. The world will reject you, but Christ won't. Amen. And when we do that, we turn away from those who've been harmed by it. And we say, just don't talk about it. Just ignore it. You say, well, I don't say that. Have you said the opposite? Because you're already in a culture. You're already in an environment where we don't talk about certain things. And so when you don't say anything, you're just being carried along by the culture. You need to say openly, face sin. Bring it out so we can deal with it. Not so we can cut people off, so we can kill sin. That's what the gospel is teaching us. Because look at the results. Because of these sins, the wrath of God is coming. Are you not a believer today? Are you trusting something other than Christ? God's coming for you. He's coming with the hammer of justice. He's going to crush you. Today, maybe. You have no guarantee that tomorrow will come. The, the judgment of God on these sins, if you've been convicted at all in any way, the judgment of God is imminent and inevitable. It's coming. But who's it coming upon? The sons of disobedience. Those who have embraced sin in their heart. Those who are not bothered by it. Those who can get past it. In which you yourselves once walked. See, now there's another category. Those who have rejected it. Who said, Christ, I don't want to be punished. Save me. I've got nothing good. I put everything on Christ. If you're a lost person today, if you're trying to make it right, you're going to die. But if you put it all on Christ, you now have a new identity. You're not a son of disobedience. You're a son of God. Amen. And sons of God do not get punished. The wrath of God is not coming upon the sons of God. 
And so the sin can then be dealt with because it's not going to kill us. It killed Jesus. The new man is made in Christ's image. He's got a new status, a new identity, but he's still got the same behavior. See, look what it says. In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you, knew, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Wait, you still have them, don't you? You trust Christ as your Savior, but you still lie. You trust Christ as your Savior, but you still create division. That's Christianity. You see, first you're forgiven of the wrath that's coming. Then God says, now let's get rid of those behaviors. The Christian life is one where you're both sinner and saint. So now that you know who you are, act like it. Now that you're a son of God, act like it. Now that you have the identity of Christ, act like Christ. Realize that because Christ is all and in all, when you sin against someone, you sin against Christ. When you commit sexual abuse, you abuse Christ. When you ignore people, you ignore Christ. When you curse at someone, you curse at Christ. Not metaphorically, actually. Matthew 25 says, Then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you curse, into the everlasting fire prepare for the devil. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Then they will also answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. When you sin against a Christian, you sin against Christ. If you let sexual abuse go unhindered, you're saying, I don't care if Jesus himself is sexually abused. Don't compartmentalize sin. Don't say, well, we'll talk about some sins, but not others. If you allow racist talk to happen and it hurts minorities, you are cursing Jesus himself. And you're saying, Jesus, I don't like the way you look. I don't like the way you talk. If Christ is in all, then he's in all. Every Christian you sin against, you sin against Christ. Now, as a Christian, that is to drive us to kill that behavior because we love Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit must work in your heart to kill sin and create love for Christ. Repentance is acknowledging that you are guilty of all sorts of sin. It's agreeing with the Holy Spirit right now if he's convicting you and saying, you know what? I am that person. I'm not going to hide from it anymore. I'll openly admit whatever it is. And true repentance brings determined, focused action. Put to death your sin. Not just acknowledge that it's sin. Put it to death. Focused work. How do you do this? You don't look at yourself. And you certainly don't look at other people. You look at Christ. How do you stop being so divisive? Look at Jesus. How do you stop being so selfish? Look at Jesus. How do you stop being a racist? You know, sometimes you can't help it because you were trained 
And you may hate it about yourself, but the first thought that comes into your mind is what you're trained to think. How do you get rid of that? First, you admit you have them. Then you look to Jesus. And if Jesus can love everybody, I can love Jesus. And that will change your heart. But only if you look at it in the face. You must look at sin and then look to Jesus. As we look at Jesus, we see his beauty. And the more you see of the beauty that Christ has, the more you'll see of the ugliness that your sin has. Don't look at your sin too much. Don't dwell on it and focus on it and lament all the time over your sin. You see it, you acknowledge it, and you look to Jesus. You look to Jesus all the time, and you get rid of sin. You kill it. You put it off. You move away from it. You say, I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to look to Jesus. If you just want to work hard and try to learn more, that's great. But until you see Christ and are changed by Christ, you will be the same person. You must pray that the Holy Spirit gives you a vision of Christ that will transform you by seeing how wicked sin is and then giving you the power to be renewed, as it says, renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created you. That's how you kill sin. Through the word, through the spirit. There's no other way. If you're not looking at Christ, you don't know how beautiful he is. Look at him dying for you. Look at him welcoming you. Look at him accepting you with all your sin. Never rejecting you. He knows how bad you are. You're worse than you think, and he knows it. And yet he says he's in all and is all. Turn to Christ. Look at Christ, and you'll be changed. Let's pray.